and Luke. Who are you? Uh, okay, then. Ron Wolfley. Ron Wolfley. What is up? <laughs> Witch Buster. Extraordinaire. Love that guy. Luke Lipinski. Yay. Wolf and Luke. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. There you go, Jesse. You know, I had the thing on, and I think you turned it off on me. We're off to a roaring start here on the Midday Show Grab. Jesse Morrison behind the glass. Good to be with you, everybody. Hope you're having a great holiday Monday. It is the Midday Show. Wolf and Luke Timbering and Howard Balls, you, Balls are with you for the next uh, four hours. We could not have started any worse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I like that name. I like that name. That was pretty good, Tim. Come that was on. pretty good. Come on, man. Come on, man. <laughs> Behind the glass there. Get the mic on. My gracious. Howard, good to be with you now. We should let everybody know I am live in the Auction Community Studios as per usual, but Howard is coming to us live from the Balzer Mansion today. <laughs> Howard's a bit under the weather, but well enough to do the show remotely today. Howard, how are you feeling, my man? I'm feeling better. Um, this hit me last Monday, right right after the game, Monday morning. And the first couple of days were rough. I've, be, I've felt much better the last few days, but it's just these lingering symptoms say, come on, leave me entirely, please. Leave me entirely. But you know what they say, out of an abundance of caution, smart not to be around people. And so here we are, separated by several miles, but all on the same wavelength brain-wise. That's the most important well, thing. Well, Howard, even when you're healthy, it's good for you to not be around people. That's what I always, <laughs> that's what I always like to say. Anyway, Jess, Jesse and Howard behind the glass today again. Uh, Tim Ring and Howard in for Wolf and Luke up until 2 o'clock. So, uh, Howard, a lot to get into today. We're going to be breaking down uh, over the next few hours the, the NBA All-Star game, possession by possession last night, the intensity uh, <laughs> that the, the best players in the world showed uh, each and every uh, possession last night. <laughs> The guts and the guile, leaving it all out there on the floor. The burning desire to win a basketball game. Boy, that was something to behold last night. My my goodness. Um, no, in all seriousness, though, Howard, the, the coaching hires that were made over the weekend, made official by Jonathan Gannon, certainly is the t- the top story of the day today uh, as we dive into this. There's really no surprise. Drew Petzing's going to be the Cardinals' offensive coordinator. Uh, Nick Rollis will be the Cardinals' defensive coordinator. When I say no surprise, clearly, uh, Howard, John Gannon brought in other guys for interviews, but Drew Petzing and Nick Rollis, I think, were his top choices from the get-go. From the moment that he interviewed with Mike Bidwell and Monty Ossenfort on Monday after the Super Bowl, shortly after that, a couple of well-sourced reporters around the country, Mary Kay Cabot in Cleveland, who's obviously connected very well to Drew Petzing, and also Benjamin Albright out of Denver, who does a real nice job. Uh, both those reporters reported... Uh, that Petsing and Rollis would be the two coordinators here in Arizona. And although Gannon did interview other guys, whether it be for uh, due diligence or for perhaps Rudy Rule obligations, which, by the way, does extend to uh, the coordinator positions, it appears Petsing and Rollis were his two 
top choices, and they are, in fact, uh, going to be the new coordinators of the Arizona Cardinals. So, Howard, before we dive deeply into it, just your overall thoughts on the decisions made by Gannon to bring in both Drew Petzing, very young, 35, yep. and Rallis, who at 29, is now the youngest coordinator in the National Football League. Yeah, 29. He, he will turn 30 in July, so by the time the training camp and the season starts, he will have hit that ripe age of 30. But like you said, uh, no surprise, and a lot of reporting. In fact, I had a tweet last Sunday, uh, on Super Bowl Sunday, probably got lost in the morass of everything else that I was hearing at that point that it was... Uh, we, we knew that the Cardinals had requested, or at least that had been a report, had requested to talk with Jonathan Gannon, even though the apparently he did not know that. And they have said that he did not know that he was going to be interviewing here on Monday until after the Super Bowl. Yeah, I want to, but, get, I want to get into that in a second, but go, go ahead and finish hard, because the, yeah. timeline, the timeline of this thing is it's a little fishy to me, but we'll, we'll try to sort it out when you, when you finish up here. Right. Yeah, no, that, that, that's fine. And so I, I, had, I had heard that and I, I in fact I put in the tweet no revelation because once you find out that they're going to talk to Gannon you, you figure that they had been waiting for him obviously until he was uh, able to talk to the Cardinals and so but my I, I heard from people on Sunday morning that he was going to be the guy and that I had mentioned Rallis and Petzing uh, as or maybe maybe it was just I'm trying to remember what this what it was I know I mentioned Rallis in that one I know I've mentioned Petzing at some point I even mentioned Mike Zimmer as a potential being on the staff which I which I'm hearing is still a possibility and so uh, but Leo like you said have been reported by by a bunch of people so no surprise it is important to point out uh tim that like for head coaches and general managers uh the rooney rule for interviewing minorities was extended to coordinators i believe it was two years ago in yeah. 2021 and so uh, there had to be some some interviews of minority candidates which which the cardinals uh, fulfilled so but you're right they these guys were on his radar uh, right from the start he says that age doesn't matter it's all about what they can do but my point about zimmer is he also told Peter King in his uh, Monday uh, Football Morning in America uh, column this morning, he also told him that I, I plan to have some real experience on the staff to balance and, and give some of that experience uh, and, and balance the coordinator. So whether that's Zimmer or someone else, who knows, but I still think that he is, he is in the mix for a type of senior assistant or something like that. But a lot, of, lot more coaches to hire. I mean, these are the first two, obviously, but there's a a lot more coaches, uh, special teams, offensive line, go, go down the long list. There's you know, probably going to be another 18 guys probably hired as assistant coaches. So still a lot of work to be done by Jonathan Gannon. Yeah, and Howard, I want, I want to get into that. And, and, I, and I don't think anybody from the previous staff is going to be retained. We, we know Sean Jefferson is moving on. Clearly, we found out Vance Joseph is moving on. I thought that would be obviously a no-brainer. But I do want to get back to the timeline. And at the end of, at the, end of the day, it really doesn't matter. But I do find it peculiar peculiar, and certainly a, a talking point for us on the radio here today on President's Day. How is it that well-sourced up reporters like yourself and Benjamin Albright, how, how is it that not only do you guys have Jonathan Gannon being interviewed, but Jonathan Gannon probably going to get the job, and here's who his coordinators are going to be before <laughs> Jonathan Gannon claims that he didn't even know he was going to be interviewed. Until after the Super Bowl. I can't reconcile that. 
Now, so it, it, we're, we're, it, there's a disconnect there where reporters know that he's interviewing, he's going to get the job. Here's who his coordinators are going to be. Yeah, Jonathan Gannon claims he didn't even know the Cardinals wanted to speak with him until after the Super Bowl. Explain that to me, Howard Balzer. Well, the, the one thing that's possible in it is that when it comes out that some that a team has requested permission to, because well, we always have to remember that every coach under contract, whatever it might be, another team has to request permission to interview that guy. So at whatever point it was that the Cardinals put in that request with the Eagles for permission, then that's when a lot of times, that's when the national, you know, especially guys like Ian Rappaport who work for NFL media and they have an insight insight into those guys being asked for permission. And that's why we see all that reporting that occurs once the season ends with potential coaches that a lot of times it's they've requested permission. And so we know that that's what the Cardinals did. And I am sure now, if that had happened Saturday, if that had happened Sunday, who knows? Maybe it happened Friday. Who knows when that re- when that permission was requested? But it certainly wouldn't surprise me at that point that Howie Roseman, the general manager, would not tell Jonathan Gannon that because he's concentrating on trying to win a help a team win a Super Bowl. But the whole con- so, the whole country knows that he's going to interview, but he doesn't know. I mean, that's, well, what, <laughs> I mean that's that's where I find. And again, it doesn't really matter. It's just it's just odd that that's that's the story being told when it's out there that he's going to interview on Monday with the Cardinals, and yet he claims that he didn't know about it until after the game. I just well, let's remember. Yeah, it's it's out there on Twitter and. And it was interesting. I thought one of the interesting things that Gannon said in his press conference on Thursday, when when he was asked about you know, perception of the organization and things like that, he says, "Hey, I, I don't pay attention to outside noise. You can't pay attention to that stuff." And so, when you're in that bubble where you're preparing for a Super Bowl, then it, you're, you're not on Twitter now. Does that mean that someone said to him, "Hey, I heard that the Cardinals want to interview you," and he might say, "Well, I don't know anything official about that." So, I, I, it, it certainly raises. Eyebrows, I understand that, right? But when when you're when you're coaching in the Super Bowl, and I'm, I'm sure Jonathan Gannon wasn't on Twitter seeing what it, what Ian Rappaport or Adam Schefter or all the retweets and all those things. I'm, I'm sure he he wasn't you know doing that. But I'm also know that. A lot of people knew who he liked and knew who would be on his list. I mean, after all, he did. I'm pretty sure he did interview with Houston. And so when you do those things, you're telling that team who you would be interested in to bring in as coaches. And so sometimes, you know, some of that stuff, you know, gets circulated and they know who he has been, who he has been close to. So a lot of stuff does get out. And it, like you said, in the long run, it doesn't really matter that much. No, but the other point is this. Remember when he, he, he made this comment, and I, some people have made fun of that and said, "Boy, how, how are you hiring this guy? He wasn't even prepared for the interview." Where he made the where he made the comment that he didn't have a book. You know, most 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 of these coaches they'll show up in an interview with a book and all this stuff, and here's how they're going to run practice, and here's what they're going to do, and here's lists of guys and all that. And he said, "Hey, all I had was a you know was a note card." And then I showed Michael Bidwell my play sheet from the defense. So it, it wasn't like he had all this information with him that he was going to be able to communicate during his interview. He just went in and just he was himself. Well, and, and that, yeah, and that's what's 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 not odd, but what's what's different about the Gannon interview is that 
other candidates got multiple interviews, and they mm-hmm. obviously were able to prepare and spend a lot of time with, with Mike and Monty. Jonathan Gannon, if you're to believe the story, didn't know he was interviewing with the Cardinals till the night before, had no time to prep, didn't get a second interview. Gannon, in that Peter King article, said that this thing was wrapped up on Monday, essentially, right. and then they you know dotted the I's and crossed the T's on Tuesday morning, but essentially this was a done deal on Monday. So the Cardinals and Gannon wasted no time getting married. It was a shotgun wedding, Howard. <laughs> well, it was, shot, it was a shotgun wedding from this from that standpoint. Yes, in terms of Michael Bidwell, but I I think it's it seems clear, especially with the things that Monty Austin Ford said, and there had been, and he confirmed the re- previous reports that he had reached out to guys in the last year in case he was interviewed for a. Be, to become a general manager again. His quote was when I was throwing out names the year before when he was being interviewed for GM jobs. And he said, but I didn't even know these guys. He said they were just names. He says, so I, I made an effort to, to get to know people that I had heard would be good choices. And so he did that with Jonathan Gannon. So it does seem clear, Tim, that this was this was Monty Austin Ford's guy. This was the guy that he wanted, and then bringing him in for the interview, they basically just had to sell Michael Bidwell on him. And once you know, once he did what he did in the interview and laid out his vision and all those things, then Michael Bidwell bought into it. And so, but th- this was this is Mon- I'm pretty sh- I'm pre- I think it's pretty clear. Like I said, this is Monty Austin Ford's hire, and how he is perceived as a general manager in the league, and this could this could pretty you know this could start to define his his era as a general manager in the NFL with this addition. But he was his guy, and I think that's pretty obvious. All right, Howard, good stuff. Let's take a time out. We come back. We're getting into the Mike Zimmer thing a little bit later on. Could he be the veteran presence that coaching staff needs? And would Mike Zimmer have an interest in coming on and helping uh, his, at one time, protege, Jonathan Gannon, uh, help turn the culture around here uh, in Arizona? After the timeout, Zach Jackson, a reporter in Cleveland who's covered Drew Petzine, the Cardinals' new offensive coordinator. Does Drew Petzine have what it takes to turn around Kyler Murray? We'll talk about that coming up after the break. Tim Ring, Howard Balls are in for Wolf and Luke. It's Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. All right, 1018 on a President's Day Monday. Good to be with you, Tim Ring. Howard Balls are in for Wolf and Luke taking you up until 2 o'clock today talking Cardinal football. We're going to get into the Suns. It is KD week, we think, as the Suns get back on the court on Friday night against the Oklahoma City Thunder, hoping and praying a little bit that Kevin Durant is back on the court uh, with the Suns. 8 o'clock tip on, on Friday night against his former team, the Oklahoma City Thunder. In the meantime, though, right now we're going to continue the Cardinal talk as Jonathan Gannon now has his two new coordinators. Drew Petzing, the offensive coordinator, uh, Nick Rollis will lead uh, the defense. Two guys with ties to Jonathan Gannon from his previous stops in his coaching career, his very young uh, coaching career. To talk about Drew Petzing a little bit uh, from The Athletic, covers the Cleveland Browns out there in Ohio. Zach Jackson joins us for a few minutes today. Zach, appreciate you taking the time today on this holiday Monday. Uh, Listen, man, we know even though you cover a team day in and day out, we know it's tough to project how a position coach is going to be once he gets the big chair as a coordinator. So we understand that. So we, we, we thank you for trying to offer some perspective here on, on Drew Petzing uh, as, we, as we pry for some information about this young man. So just your opening thoughts on why you think Drew Petzing could or may 
or possibly will be a good offensive coordinator here now in Arizona? Well, he'll have that comfort level, right? Lots of drama and dysfunction in Cleveland and lots of it in Arizona, <laughs> so he slides right in. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> um, no, you know, he he was Stefanski, um, Gannon, and Drew Petsing were together in Minnesota for four years, I believe. And those are young guys who have been on the rise since. Petsing is the youngest of them all. Um, he wasn't the first hire for Kevin Stefanski when he uh, got the job in early 2020 with the Browns, but he was one of the first hires. He was two years as a tight ends coach and then moved last year, which was A, to benefit the Browns, but also for his own career. Uh, They knew that when Jonathan Gannon got a job that he was probably going to hire Drew Petsing. So um, smart guy. Um, I'm sure we can get more into this, but the offense was not the problem in Cleveland last year, right? There was lots of outside stuff and inside stuff where they failed. It certainly wasn't the offense. Um, so he's come up, you know, in the way that many of these guys have. And like I said, he's, he's long, but I, I don't think, you know, that it was a hundred percent a slam dunk when Jonathan Gannon went to interview a week ago today, um, that it was going to be petting, but people have known for a long time that this is the link they wanted to make. And, you know, so if you trust in Jonathan Gannon, then you trust in Drew Petsing. It's interesting, Zach, because I think sometimes we all try to have the finger pointed at one person who's responsible for everything. And the reality of football a lot of times is that isn't uh, the case. And I thought it was interesting when Jonathan Gadden had a quote about Andy Reid where he said, I'll never be as smart as Andy Reid, but where I do align with him philosophically is seven or eight brains are better than one. And so, and this might be a tough question to answer, but in terms of Petsing now the coordinator, but obviously there's a lot of coaches still to add to this staff, whether it's the run game coordinator, pass game coordinator, who, who knows how it's all going to be uh, structured. But your, your, your take on that with Petsing, but also just overall that how often, whether it's offense, defense, so many things are collaborative, even though if things go wrong or go well, it's, a, oh, it's the coordinator, it's this or it's that, when a lot of times it's, it's, it's much, much more. Yeah, I mean, Drew's going to be a good teammate, right? There, there's not flash to this guy. Um, there's not me first. He's not going to come to the press conference and, and say outrageous things or say that he's going to fix Kyler Murray or, you know, win the Super Bowl for the Cardinals next year, right? Um, you know, the Browns believed in investing in the O-line. Um, you know, going back to Minnesota once the fancy was coming through and then became the coordinator and then took off, you know, quickly. Um, they have an offense they believe in. And then the shift last year was amid all the uncertainty was turning it into an offense that could feature Watson. So I think it will be Petsing leaning on his head coach, leaning on the guys that he hires and the guys who hire the players, right, to say, hey, this is what, these are the principles that we believe in. Obviously protecting the quarterback is part of it. Obviously running the ball to an extent is part of it. And then the last step of how do we really unleash and maximize you know the quarterback that we're committed to so um like i said this is his first coordinator job and it is different not knowing when kyler's going to play right and not knowing um you know coming to a totally different environment here but if you look at his history of the offensive principles and where he's coached and who he's coached with you can start to make the method yes he is going to be that kind of good teammate and then they'll build it together uh over time Kind of leads me to my next question. Jonathan Gannon, uh, visiting with Zach Jackson, by the way, Cleveland Browns reporter with The Athletic. Uh, Jonathan Gannon, in his introductory press conference, even though he's a defensive guy, he did say, and I thought it was great, he goes, I know how I want to play offensively. And clearly, he believes that Drew Pensing 
knows how he wants to play offensively. So the question to you, Zach, is how do you think that's going to look from what you know about what Drew likes to do, even though he was a tight ends coach for a couple of years and a quarterback's coach? What do you think this offense is going to look like from what you know about Drew Petzing and Jonathan Gannon's upbringing through the National Football League? Yeah, you know, I, I think they want to play action. I think they want to move the pocket, obviously, which which fits with what they have. You know, part of the battle here in Cleveland was, hey, this offense works, and, and we've proven it works. Um, they ran out of talent at wide receiver, and then 11 games in, they shifted to a quarterback who was more talented than the guys they had, but A, wasn't really ready physically or mentally, and B, you know, how did they try to marry and mold that offense that they knew that worked to opening these new doors? And I think that's that's kind of the challenge. So, you know, I think you will see – I think you can bank on um, the bootleg game, the play-action game, moving the pocket, being a part of it, right? And then, you know, through personnel, through Kyler getting healthy, through – Years right down the road, they didn't hire Gannon and, and Petzing for for just this year. Um, you know, I think you'll see it more opened up. That's where the Browns were, right? The Browns want and by contract and by need hand, need to hand the ball to Deshaun Watson and need him to do more. Um, that's not really the base offense, but the base offense does have a lot of natural movement, bootleg stuff um, in which you know you would think Kyler would succeed. You mentioned the quarterback shifting, and that could very well will likely be the the case here uh, in Arizona. And when it was being talked about Gannon potentially getting the job, everyone was already connecting the dots and saying, "Oh, Gardner Minshew is a backup, is a free agent, and that might be a guy that that Gannon brings in as as the guy who plays until uh, Kyler Murray is healthy." Then, of course, Petsing gets hired, and everybody says, "Oh, Jacoby Brissett uh, might be yeah. the guy." You know, everyone always wants to connect all those dots. G- give us a little. I, I know you don't know the true possibility of it, but give us a little insight on how on how Brissett did, and he's he's played decent football over the years in different places he's been, even when he wasn't quote the guy. Yeah, I'd sign up for him in a minute, guys. Um, the demeanor, the background. He did play well last year. He didn't play great. He's not ever going to be an A quarterback in this league. But when you look at what he's seen. Right, having to play in a rookie as a rookie in a short week for Bill Belichick on national TV, going to the Colts on no notice, playing for a bad team, then playing and earning a contract extension. Last year, being signed by the Browns in a situation where they did not know how long Watson was going to be suspended for five months after they signed Brissett, and then in training camp, we're still trying to get two guys ready to start games. Right. And, and again, like of all the Browns problems, the offense wasn't one of them. So just from that guy's makeup and experience, um, he's a good get for someone. And, and we all don't know how this quarterback market's going to shake out. And we don't know what kind of opportunity. Brissett is, oh, I think he's only 29. He sees himself as a starter and he points to the way he played last year as he's a starter. Is he really going to get that chance to be some team's quarterback for more than six games, more than one year? You know, I don't think we know, but I I just, without knowing the levels of the dysfunction in Arizona or the exact diagnosis on Kyler, I would think everyone would have to be thrilled if you land that guy, just having watched him work and go through what he went through. I mean, they still played him when Watson came back as a designated sneaker. Now, he's a very good one, and, and Watson just isn't. But they were all throwing him a bone. I mean, he was involved in the game plan. He was involved in the audibles. He was involved in everything. And 
when the Browns cleaned up and checked out of the locker room last year after another just awful season with all sorts of sideshows, there was still so much respect for Jacoby Brissett, and he hadn't played it down since Thanksgiving. And that just resonates to me as someone who's covered a lot of drama and dysfunction for a long, long time. Um, I just think that the players think the world of that guy. We didn't get to know him very, very well. He wasn't here. But I think the players think the world of that guy. And I think when you look at his resume, um, you know, paying what he wants to get him for the Cardinals or for anyone else is something that a, that a smart team you know, needs to do four weeks from now. Zach Jackson, the Athletic, Cleveland, Ohio. Thanks a lot, man. Appreciate the insight, not only on Drew Petzing, but a little bit there on Jacoby Brissett, who could be a possibility at quarterback as that stopgap guy as Kyler Murray rehabs from the ACL. Zach, appreciate the time, brother. Talk to you soon. Thanks, guys. All right. We're taking a quick time out here. When we come back, a lot to like about NBA All-Star Weekend in Salt Lake City, except for, you know, the game. Tim Ring and Howard Balzer. We'll talk about that coming up after the timeout. We're in for Wolf and Luke, Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Wolf and Luke, Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. We back. <laughs> We are in business. Tim Ring, Howard Balls are with you on a holiday Monday. Good to be with you. In for Wolf and Luke up until 2 o'clock. Howard, were you on the edge of your seat last night for the NBA All-Star game? I mean, the way those guys put it all on the line, each and every possession. Riveted. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely riveted. The defensive intensity. I mean, my God. You know... They're approaching Pro Bowl levels yes. of of crap out there <laughs> uh, on the court. I mean that that was a joke. I, I, I now listen. I I do have to be clear. I, I for All Star Weekend there were moments that were great theater and entertaining and great for the viewing audience and people all over the country. Mac McClung uh, winning the uh, slam dunk contest. I mean, here's a guy six foot two comes up from the G League. Essentially, he's technically on the Sixers, but come on, get real. Six foot two, former three star recruit out of Gate City, Virginia, and he was spectacular winning that dunk contest on on Saturday. And then you get the the events on Sunday. I mean, Jokic is picked seventh, the two time MVP. Is pick seventh. By the way, Jokic said, I would not have drafted myself either. Uh, Team Giannis and Team LeBron. Giannis plays about 12 seconds and leaves. LeBron plays a half and then leaves. Damian Lillard hit a half-court shot. That was cool. LeBron, before he left, threw an alley-oop to himself off the glass. That that was cool. Uh, the the Celtics, Tatum and, and, and Jalen Brown playing on opposite teams had a little one-on-one battle for a little bit in the third quarter. I guess that was cool. But Howard and Tatum had 55 points to win the Kobe Bryant MVP award of the All Star Game. So there were good moments, I guess. But the game, man, I don't know what Adam, I don't know what Adam Silver and the league does about it because that 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 there was there was nothing enjoyable. I, I know you know what I know you can dunk. I know guys can dunk. I get it. You can waltz down the lane and you can throw down a dunk. Great, whip the freaking do. I mean to to not even attempt to have a real game. Was highly disappointing. I, I it wasn't like that fifteen twenty years ago. And this is not an old man get off of my lawn rant, but that game has deteriorated much 
much in the same manner as the Pro Bowl ultimately did, and we know how that ended up, Howard. Yeah, no, you're 100% right. And it's been like this for numerous years. Obviously, like you said, it wasn't like that uh, back in the day where there was some effort, at least some, yes, put, put, on, <laughs> put on defense. And, and that, that's essentially where it is. That's, that's what the Pro Bowl, same thing there in football is no one's really playing defense and there's, there's not a whole bunch of tackling, which they finally figured, okay, no one's going to tackle anyway. Let's just put flags on them. Obviously, you can't do something like that in basketball. So I, I don't know what, what the answer is. Like you said, some of the surrounding stuff. Heck, the celebrity, I don't know if you watched any of the celebrity basketball game on Friday evening, that was that was more entertaining in a lot of respects than than the regular game. And and so at least there you're seeing guys you haven't seen before and you're seeing guys from different sports and man DK Metcalf was was pretty impressive uh, for his team. And so but I I don't know what the answer is except for just not playing it at all because it's just you know it's just each team going down okay let's shoot let's shoot let's shoot and what did I see I think the over under they actually post I remember before the game they actually posted an over under in points I don't know why anybody would bet something like that and I think the over under was something I might be a little bit off and it was something like 330 points or something so do the math on that that's 165 each and yeah. so so everyone knows what it's going to be and then it surely is when they play it out and it's yeah you're right it's just painful to watch well the, the team Giannis won at 184 over team of LeBron 184 to 175 <laughs> and they, <laughs> well, it went over right they, and they had they had the Elam ending where they kind of set the point total which I actually don't mind I think that's kind of cool kind of different and I understand you know the gym teacher that developed the Elam and had a good reason to do it, and I think it's a little bit like pickup basketball when you play to eleven, right? You're not playing against the clock; you're trying to you're trying to hit a certain score. So I think that's intriguing and a pretty cool way to end a game. But you're talking about you're just talking about. Ten guys out there on the court at all times that are literally just kind of standing around and watching the guy who has the ball just either drive down the lane and lay it in or dunk it, or you throw an alley oop to somebody who jumps. And that's what I was saying earlier. Like I get it, you guys can dunk. I know you're the best players in the world. Like that to me, there's there's nothing there, there is nothing intriguing or entertaining about that. I, I watching a game, I, I just I would like to see them actually play against each other. Now I I, I know the the money is too great now and the risk of injury and all that kind of stuff. There's too much on the line, but it, it's just it's it's you're you're devaluing the game. I wonder, Howard, you could go one or two ways, and you referenced this briefly five minutes ago. Could you could you conceivably do All Star Weekend? And have all the festivities and all the skills competitions, the slam dunk, the three point shootout, and anything else you want to do in the in the the celebrity game, and have everybody there and do everything but play the game. Like would that would that work? Would that would that move the meter? Because I got to tell you, I, I had friends that were there covering the game in the media, and you can see these reports on Twitter from those that were there. The arena was dead. The arena was dead. There was no energy in that arena. And I can only imagine, this is, it's it, boring for us watching it on television. I can only imagine the fans that shelled out big money to watch that game and just to sit there and watch that crap. I mean, that was awful. So I, I wonder, and again, I'm just kind of spit, spitballing ideas here. Could, could they get away with an all-star weekend but not play the game, like find something else to plug in there on Sunday night. I, I don't know. Or you go the other way, and you go the baseball way, where you say, okay, we're going to go back to East versus West, 
and home court advantage in the finals is going to be on the line, boys. To use a Jonathan Gannon phrase, buckle up. Go out there and play because home court advantage in the finals is on the line for your specific con- conference. Uh, you know that, that that's the other way you could do it. Now, I don't I don't know if that's going to fly with the the players association and or, right. or, or I I don't know. I'm again I'm, I'm these are conversations that you and I are having right now, spitballing ideas that probably need to happen at the league office because that was that was garbage last night. I I don't know that there would all of a sudden be just because it's the home field advantage for whatever two teams are in the finals that all of a sudden all these guys are going to come to all-star weekend and all and all of a sudden just go out there and play all blood and guts and i I don't know i don't know i don't know either that's why i'm I'm spitting here i know no i get it i get it i i i don't know that that's the answer i i certainly they want to play a game it'll be curious to see what the tv ratings are uh, for it but that's what always that's what always everyone justified the NFL with well you know people are still watching people are still watching but they still went to the flag uh, flag football and the, the the numbers weren't as good but there were still you know, there were still people watching and so i think but the the problem is i don't know that there's an alternative in the nba that's that's the issue if you don't, it's either play the game or don't play it maybe you make it shorter and okay, so we're going to say okay, we want to have a game, we want to do something, and let's let's make it shorter. I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't know if there is an answer that makes any viable sense that would make it more enjoyable or more fun to watch. Well, we'll see. And TV ratings. You got to also remember there ain't nothing else on, brother. Right. It's a Sunday True. night in February. I mean, people watch because it's on, and there's not a whole lot of. Competition, Tim. Uh, there's the DC Defenders and the Seattle Sea Dragons. Come on, <laughs> there we Ex- go. XFL. Exactly my point. <laughs> hey guys, let's let's hit a break. When we come back, back to the Cardinals. Really good stuff from Peter King, who had some alone time with Jonathan Gannon. Gannon talking about how he's going to use Kyler Murray differently than how Cliff Kingsbury used Kyler Murray, and I think Cardinal fans are going to like it. We'll chew on that coming up after the timeout. Tim Ring, Howard Balls are in for Wolf and Luke. It's Arizona Sports. The Local sports leader. Wolf and Luke, Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Jesse and Laura behind the glass, taking you through a holiday Monday. Good to be with you, everybody. Hope your day is treating you well. Your Monday is treating you well. If you are off work today or off school, hope it's a good one. Uh, Howard, Peter King always gets good stuff, right? He's always he's always getting five minutes alone with guys here and there, players, coaches. He always gets a good little tidbits. He got some good stuff with Jonathan Gannon uh, the other day, talking about uh, Kyler Murray and how uh, Gannon's going to use the Cardinals quarterback going forward differently than what Cliff Kingsbury did with Kyler Murray. Um, Kyler Murray pretty much operated exclusively out of the shotgun. In fact, per NFL research, the last three seasons, Kyler Murray took a whopping total of 3% of his snaps under center. And Howard, I would venture to guess most of those were when the Cardinals were in victory formation. Which hasn't been all that much as of late. 
<laughs> yeah, true. <laughs> but, but nonetheless, I would guess most of those were in victory formation, especially in the 2021 20, uh, season. But let me read you. Let me read you the Gannon quote because I don't want to put words in his mouth, and it's a little long. So bear with me. Uh, first of all, he tells Peter King. Then Howard, I'll get your reaction to this because I think there's a lot to get into here uh, because it's not only what Gannon wants to do, but what Drew Petzing wants to do, and also let's lest we forget, it's what Kyler Murray wants to do, and should the Cardinals care what Kyler Murray wants to do? The new regime, anyway. But Gannon said this, if Kyler Murray isn't here, I don't take the job. I think this offense will look much different. This guy does things that it completely handcuffs you how you play defense at times. I think we can take him to another level and unleash his full skill set. We're not going to put him in the gun all the time, I can tell you that. We'll have two significant offenses with his skill set, one being under center and one being in the gun. Then obviously we're going to do what's comfortable with him. The way to take pressure off the quarterback and the O-line is to put him under center at times. That's the missing piece I thought they had with Kyler. They were in the gun all the time. And when you're in the gun all the time, you don't make the defense defend certain play types. Now when you get him under center, the defense has to defend a lot more types of play types. So there's really two offenses I see us using End quote. Howard Balzer, your thoughts? Yes. Interesting. Interesting that he characterized it as like two different offenses. As if, like a lot of teams will have some, obviously their quarterback in the gun sometimes and the quarterback under center. It's all one overall offense, but obviously there's different things you do with those. So I don't know if it really matters if it's two offenses or whatever it might be. It's just expanding your offense to be able to do that. And so it's, it's going to be interesting to see how that, how that develops. Because, of course, he also said, we're obviously going to do what's comfortable with him. And so how comfortable will he be under center and, and uh, those things? If you're talking about a much larger percentage of snaps that come in, uh, you know, under center. And also, will he be comfortable throwing the, throwing the football? I mean, it's, it seems obvious that the gun was used so much because that's where he was most comfortable throwing the football. It's a whole lot different. You're standing back there and you can see the defense. You can see the field as the ball's coming, right? Uh, uh, aside from now taking the snap, going to a three step drop, five step drop, whatever it might be, and moving back at a time when normally you'd just be sitting there kind of viewing the field. So how comfortable will, will he be in that? Essentially, he's saying he better be comfortable in it, although he didn't really say in that respect. So it's, it's going to be very fascinating to watch this and see how realistic it all comes, especially with his with Kyler's particular uh, skill set. I think it's also interesting Tim, that in the conversation with Zach Jackson, when he was talking about Jacoby Brissett, he mentioned how he was often used as a designated quarterback sneaker. And how many times did we watch playoff games throughout this this season, but even other times during the year, where you see teams doing the quarterback sneak? Cardinals never did that. It's not even they the, never did that. It's not even in the playbook they, with Kyler Murray. Exactly, exactly. But in some re, and some things, that's for good reason. So, and, and look at look at Jalen Hurts. I mean, this is where John, Jonathan Gannon is coming from. I mean, look how successful they were on the quarterback sneak. Now, granted, Jalen Hurts is a much bigger guy. 
than Kyler Murray. And so that becomes part of what you do, especially in those specific situations. So could that be where if you have a guy like Brissett as the quarterback, even when he's not playing, if, if Murray's playing, that, hey, it's a quarterback situation quarterback sneak situation, hey, let's put Jacoby Brissett in. So I think I think we're going to see a lot more, what's the word, maybe a little more diversity in the offense, but a lot of it is going to be how comfortable Kyler is with it, how good the offensive line is. I mean, he mentioned that that helps the offensive line when you're under center. It can, but you still have to have a good offensive line, and that's going to be a big part of what this team has to do in the offseason to put this roster together. So it's there, there's going to be Tim, there's going to be so much I would think that happens with this team between now and August 1st or whatever it is at the end of July when training camp opens. There's going to be so much that's happening with this team. It's going to be hard for us all to keep track of it. Well, before I dive back into what Kyler Murray is comfortable with and what he's not, which don't get me started on that just quite yet. This is where I actually think having a defensive minded head coach can actually aid the offensive attack. And I brought this up with Zach Jackson. I really like the fact that Jonathan Gannon in that introductory press conference point blank said, I know how I want to play offense. And again, not to pick the Kingsbury scab, but I'm pretty sure Cliff had no idea how he wanted to play defense. I think he just turned that sucker over to Vance Joseph and said, you do what you want, which is okay. A lot of, a lot of coaches will, will do that. But Jonathan Gannon's coming in going, no, no, no. I, I know what works on offense because I got to stop that side of the football. And again, in writing this quote to Peter King, said it. He goes, When you're in gun all the time, you don't make the defense defend certain play types. So essentially, what he's saying is listen, read between the lines. When Kingsbury's got him in the gun all the time, he's making my job as a defensive coordinator a whole hell of a lot easier. Or any coach that keeps his quarterback in the gun all the time. So I'm out there trying to defend an offense. Hey, you want to keep your quarterback in the gun all the time? Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Cliff Kingsbury. Because you're making my job and the job of my defensive 11 out there a whole hell of a lot easier. So now that I'm in the big chair and I can dictate what we do on offense, even though I'm a defensive-minded guy, we ain't going to be in the gun every single freaking time. Those days are over. And this is the benefit of having somebody with that type of expertise on the other side of the ball that has the ability now to say to Drew Petzing, no, 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 this is what we're doing. So, Howard, I want to get your thoughts on that before we kind of dive into the Kyler Murray thing. Yeah, no, I think it's all very, very very crucial uh, to it all. Because the one thing it does is when a team is preparing for you during the week, they have to prepare for those different things that you can do. And that means more time on the practice field doing things and, you know, less time on something else. And so, obviously, you still have to have, you still have to be productive doing it. And that will still be, be the key. I mean, heck, we heard John. Jonathan Gannon say Thursday, I want to be explosive on offense. And we have explosive players on this team. Well, I don't know. I I look at this offense, and there's not a whole lot... We don't know what's going to happen with DeAndre Hopkins, but if he's not back, I don't see a whole lot of explosive players on this offense. And so that that points to what I was saying about some of the things that have to be done to improve the personnel. 
So all those things are important. All those things are important to be able to do. No question about it. But the personnel still has to be able to fit it so you can do all those things that you want to do. I think there's this notion sometimes, Tim, that, well, this offensive coordinator isn't very good. He's not doing this. He's not doing that. Well, all coordinators put together a plan based on the players they have and what gives them the best chance to win. Yeah. And especially you look at that Philadelphia offense. I mean, look at all the players they had on offense. One of the best offensive line in football, two great receivers, a really good tight end, a couple of good running backs, and the quarterback. So they could pretty much make you know pick the poison. And so the defense wouldn't know what was coming because there were so many different things that they were capable of doing. So to me, so much of this still, all this stuff is words right now, Tim, in my mind, but it's still, most of it comes down to getting the personnel to be able to do what you want to do on offense and defense for that matter. And Howard, I would hope the personnel would improve via free agency and a a much better draft. Real quick though, they, I, you know, I understand, and really, even the Twitter reaction to the Peter King articles, well, Kyler Murray doesn't like being in the shotgun. Well, that's great. It's all fine and dandy, but Kyler doesn't like it. He's not, Okay, the days of coddling Kyler Murray are over. Now, I'm not saying that you, you stick him in there or, or a square peg in a round hole and you, you hurt your football team on the field on Sundays. If he can't do it, he can't do it. But these days are, are of worrying about what Kyler Murray's comfortable They've won five of their last 23 games, Okay. He's regressing as a quarterback. Whatever they've been doing is not working. Okay? So, Jonathan Gannon's coming from first-hand experience. They just played this team last year. They were easy to defend with the way that they were utilizing Kyler Murray. He needs to change that. So, Kyler, whether or not you're comfortable or not in the, sh- in the under center, we are going to put you there. We have, oh, to, tr- we have to try this. We have to make us more dimensional on offense. We have to give the defenses different looks because what we're doing right now doesn't work. Now, I'm not saying that's the only, I'm not saying Kyler Murray and shotgun all the time is the reason they've won five of their last 23 games. Don't get me wrong, but I'm sure it didn't help. Well, but I think you also have to look at the fact, and it's it's almost as if there's forgetting what happened before those games when this team looked pretty good and they were in shotgun an awful lot. But defenses but course, catch up, though. Defenses well, catch they do up. To a, they do to a degree, but they, it's easier to catch up when your main players aren't on the field. And that is still a reality that, that many seem to ignore and forget about, is that, yes, there was regression. There was regression by the entire offense, but it was also an offense that its top three receivers were never on the field together for one game last season. So that was the point I was getting at in terms of the pers- the personnel and that it, you still have to have the players to pull pull it all off. And the other thing is like you were alluding to, yes, you want your quarterback to be able to do a bunch of things, but you also as a coach have to be able to you, you have to coach the things that that quarterback does well. And you always hear from all teams, hey, let's you know, we get with the quarterback and here's here's what works, here's what doesn't. And that happens with all teams. It's it's not just with Kyler Murray. And so it, it, it will it will be important to do more. I get that. I understand that. But like I said, when when you don't have your main players on the line and you don't have an offensive line that can block anybody because you're playing mostly backups, that's going to affect what happens 
on offense. And so all those things, if anyone thinks that all of a sudden having Kyler Murray under center more, that that would have made a big difference last year with everything that was going around, going on around him with missing personnel and the offensive line issues, that's, that's, that's just fantasy land, I believe. No, but at least going forward, though, there, there, there's a new coach coming in with, with ideas on how to, how to change things and make things better and make him a better quarterback. And, and this is coming from a guy with a defensive perspective on, on, a, on an offense that's easier to defend, to defend uh, with a guy in shotgun all the time. Text us your thoughts on a new look offense for Kyler Murray to the FanDuel text line at 620-620 right now. When we come back, top of the hour, we will reset the top story of the weekend. The Cardinals and Jonathan Gannon have their two new coordinators, Drew Petzing and Nick Rollis, are coming to town. They are inexperienced by way of coordinating, but they are young and energetic and they are ready to roll. We'll talk about it. Tim and Howard in for Wolf and Luke. It's Arizona Sports, the local sports leader.